It's not just the weather outside that's frightful right now. In the 1993 classic, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Jack, a spooktacular pumpkin king, is so inspired by Christmastown, he decides to try his hand at taking the reins. So, join the GLG as we put our shrunken heads together to make six new connections to education, leadership, and teams while also honoring this terrific film in our pop culture winter wonderland. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild Pop Culture Winter Wonderland. This is an opportunity for us to enjoy making some content and bringing it out to you while everybody is enjoying a little bit of downtime over break. The thought here is to keep things lighthearted and tied into pop culture in a way that we really enjoy while still creating some quality content for you. And to do this, we're going to play our game, Six Degrees of Education, where we make six pop culture references to concepts that we talk about and love talking about on this podcast, education, leadership, and teamwork. And we've got a couple of norms to keep us going. And the first one is one that we are terrible at keeping, but I hope we can do it tonight. Right, guys? We're going to do it. And that is, let's keep this under 20 minutes. Now, that's notwithstanding the game, of course, because we got to fit that one at the end. We got to play a game after the game because that's how we roll. But can we get our six degrees in within 20 minutes? That is our challenge. I hope we're up for it tonight because I sure would love to make it in time for one of these. That would be great. And the second norm, I don't know if it really applies here. I mean, I guess it does, but the the topic tonight is Nightmare Before Christmas, came out in 1993. Mm-hmm. Spoilers mm-hmm. will follow, perhaps, but if you haven't watched it by now, uh, come on. Come on. You got to watch this movie. You need to <laughs> yeah. go back. Turn this off, go watch it, and then come yep. back. <laughs> but for any of our listeners who haven't watched it recently, or it's not a part of your regular either Christmas or Halloween rotation, just to refresh and catch you up. The story centers around Jack Skellington, the Pumpkin King, who accidentally stumbles upon a door to Christmastown and bored with year after year doing the same Halloween shtick, he decides that he is instead going to take over Christmas and enlist the help of all of the people of Halloween Town to help deliver the most frightening Halloween that normals have ever seen. Let's hit the ground running. Let's actually start with the title character. So Jack Skellington, he's got a really amazing opening song, What's This?, sung by Danny Elfman, bringing in trivia, because with her pouting, Jenny no longer allows us to play trivia games. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're terrible at them. (laughs) So Jack Skellington, his singing voice is sung by Danny Elfman, longtime collaborator of Tim Burton, who's always been a big giant favorite of mine. But what connections can we make first to kick things off with Jack and that song? Okay, so this actually brought me back to a previous episode, not very long ago either, the work that we were doing on Cobra Kai, I was thinking about genuine engagement through curiosity with what's this. So he has been disengaged, right? He's been the opposite Mm -hmm. of engaged with Halloween. Everybody is still super excited about it, except for Jack. It's bringing him no joy, no spark. And he's really trying to get re-engaged into a holiday. And when he meanders into Christmastown, all of a sudden, this curiosity, this what's this? What's this? He just keeps asking and asking more and more questions and it keeps like sparking more questions and it brings some genuine excitement and spark back to what he does. And bonus points for the episode on Cobra Kai tie-in. Nice job. (laughs) Thanks. 
for me, my connection, similar to what Emily, you were saying with engagement, it's important to, again, notice the name, teacher burnout, teacher turnover, all of those things, finding something that reinvigorates your passion when it comes to education and teaching and learning. And that's what I see in Jack. He has found something that really is inspiring to him. Granted, it doesn't work out very well as we find (laughs) in the end of the movie, but it takes that initial spark and curiosity to rekindle his excitement. Once again, you two bring all the wholesome and I'm going to turn it 180 degrees. (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing that comes to my mind when I'm thinking of that song is a teacher who has gotten into their own private bathroom that they're not in a public stall (laughs) and they're like singing like what's this what's this there's potpourri (laughs) in the air what's this what's this a door that locks with care I don't know I'm just this might be going back to my high school days when we were teachers in stalls next to high school students it's just nice to have our own personal bathroom that's where my brain went Uh, you need oh to finish God. that song at some point. That was pretty great. Yeah. Out, great yeah. out of nowhere. <laughs> Trivia? No, not my thing. Singing? Perhaps. Maybe. Gatological potty humor? Is that thing? <laughs> okay. Everybody. I, I live with a seven-year-old boy, so can't help. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So for our next connection, let's talk about Sally. Now, Sally is the love interest, more trivia, voiced by Catherine O'Hara, Schitt's Creek. No kidding. Moira Moira. Yes. yes, yes. Had to bring that in here as well. And she was created by the evil doctor in Halloween Town to be a servant and ends up wanting to break free of that mold. Any connections that either of you two can make? I would go for agency with Sally. Mm -hmm. I think the importance of having agency is her entire arc. In some ways, her interest in Jack is because he has so much agency and choice in his own life, and she has none. She's expected to be this servant and this passive figure, and she wants nothing to do with it. She starts out that movie like actively trying to poison that doctor, right? (laughs) Like she's like (laughs) trying to just run her own life and do something that she is able to make meaningful choices and able to be in charge of. And that's really how her whole plot line gets off the ground. Yeah. Speaking of her arc, Emily, you think about when the movie starts out, she's up in that tower, she's cast away alone by herself. And it wasn't until she starts to take risks that she's able to truly Mm -hmm. find who she is and what she wants to be and what she wants to explore and navigate her own life on her own terms back to your agency piece. But I think it's that catalyst of risk taking that's so powerful. And I feel like as professionals or as educators or even as students in the classroom, you have to be willing to take risks if you really are hoping to grow and be empowered by what you want to do with your life and your your identity. Mine goes in the total opposite direction of all of potty humor. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) No, not not that far. But mine actually is a connection between the doctor, Dr. Finkelstein, who's the creator of Sally and Sally's behavior. So Mm. Sally is consistently trying to poison the doctor with (laughs) nightshade, Emily, as you mentioned. But the doctor never really changes her access (laughs) at all to these poisons. (laughs) So he does the same thing over and over again with respect to her behavior and managing behavior. He throws her in a dungeon for a while, and that really doesn't do anything. (laughs) 
And that reminds me of our restorative practices episode. Ooh, really episode unpacking. <laughs> yep. Really unpacking. Sally, why is it that you want to run away? What else do you want more in your life? Like really getting a sense of knowing her and what her big why is. She wants freedom. She wants agency. And instead of coming to that conversation together, he just locks her up again and it doesn't do any good. So that's the connection that I have for Sally. You guys ready to talk about more characters? Sure. Awesome. So next character is one that I didn't realize was as significant as he actually is, the mayor. So what connections can we make to the mayor of Halloween Town? So I'm thinking of his face. It flips on a dime. (laughs) Right? He spins it around depending on what mood he's in. For anybody that may not remember, his smile is stuck on his face. He can't change it unless he spins his head around and then there's his grumpy face or whatever. So I'm thinking of teachers. We're in break right now. So we're looking for that smiley face. And depending on where you are, like on Monday, you're feeling that smile. And by Friday, your head is spun around the other way. And so I just think of those memes that are out there where you think of the teacher on Monday and the teacher on Friday or the teacher in August and the teacher in September. And they look like a complete disaster. And so that flip-flopping of faces is sometimes how we might feel on the job. To me, the connection I make with the mayor is really leadership, right? We see leaders out there consistently in schools that are reactive instead of proactive. And they go from zero to 60 in in the blink of an eye. And that's what the mayor does. He comes over to Jack seconds, seconds after the Halloween celebration is over, waddling down because it's stop motion animation, like, let's get ready for next year. And then instantly when Jack doesn't answer the door, oh, sound the alarm, where's the pumpkin king? He freaks out. As leaders, it's important for us to put on a little bit more of a range when we deal with problems and try to lay more proactive strategies out so we don't have to go from zero to 60 like the mayor does. So I have to preface my connection. One thing that always bugged me in this was that there was a king and a mayor. So it seemed like there was Mm -hmm. a weird leadership structure in Halloween Town to begin with. It's not like there is a mayor of Christmas Town. It's just Santa. He's the whole show. So it actually made me think a little bit of our co-teaching episode in a, a weird kind of like one teach, one assist model there where the mayor doesn't actually do anything. He doesn't have any responsibilities. He doesn't really take any leadership and he doesn't even know what to do when it is his turn to take some leadership, when Jack's checked out or looking at a side project or trying to change things and the mayor doesn't really know really how to handle it. So to me, it seems like if they were to move to a different model and Jack were to empower the mayor to be a little more active or if they were just to change that dynamic up, maybe that's not a good partnership. That's a whole nother episode, coaching characters and stuff again. But it seems to me like there's a weird power structure and it could be a dysfunctional co-teaching type of situation. Didn't even think about that that way. So power struggles aside, I also think it's important for us to talk about the townspeople, you know, whether that's Dracula, whether that's the musicians in the band, (laughs) or we've got another group that we're going to highlight. So the townspeople are really the workhorses that help empower Jack to bring his vision of Christmas to reality. However, if you think about the song, the sequence that Jack shows them everything and then helps try to articulate what the vision is, 
it's lost on the townspeople. And instead of creating, you know, fun little dolls, they do what they normally do. <laughs> oh, yeah, instead of a doll, I'm going to give this child a shrunken head. <laughs> like, it, it's not fully actualized. So for me, I'm making the connection between leaders who aren't effective at articulating the vision. And when it comes to executing the actual mission and vision of their organizations, unless that why is understood and owned by everyone, it's going to end up like Jack's burning sled <laughs> because not everyone buys into it. Not everyone understands it and sees how they can make it a reality. It's interesting that you brought in that just at the end there, Casey, that buy-in, because that's where my head was going was actually that I thought Jack did a really nice job of communicating the vision but where I would tweak that in the way I am envisioning it is the buy-ins there. But now where do we have to build in the structure and the scaffolds for professional learning to help the townspeople get to that, like you said, to actualize the vision? So not that I completely disagree with you. I wonder what that tweak is often what we find in our circles, whether that's in coaching or in leadership, what we're trying to do is help those that are wanting to come to the table and they're wanting to buy in and they want to do what's right, find a teacher that doesn't want to do what's right for kids. But we need to be mm -hmm. able to provide teachers, educators with the training and the learning that they need to be able to be at their best for students. And that comes in in professional learning. But it is so challenging and so hard to design that and find time for that and all of the other things that are going on. Because classrooms don't stop. Kids keep showing up year after mm -hmm. year. But we have to find a better way to do professional learning so that those dolls that they're presenting to their students aren't shrunken heads, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. And I'm going to tie a neat little spiderweb bow on top of this one by saying that it has to do with support through change in routines. When we're talking about whether we're talking about training staff, like you're mentioning, Jenny, or even like when you have a class that's like running on a really solid classroom routine and they know what to do, it's, it's really great to see. And so when you look at the townspeople through this as Halloween sequence, like everybody knows what to do. Everybody knows their role. They're all spooky and they're great at it and they crush. But then something new happens, the routine changes, and then everyone's like, well, what do we do? You know, they get a sub or whatever. And a pandemic happens. Yeah, a <laughs> pandemic happens, and everybody is panicking. So case in point, like you mentioned, it, it's more than just buy-in, but I think there needs to be that really intensive support, communication, clarity, and assistance just mm -hmm. through a change in routine, and to slowly but really holistically stick a new routine. So going back to even sustainable change a little bit, that there needs to be support given to help a change stick rather than just expecting, oh, okay, we're doing this now. Quick, change it the other way. I love that. My colleague calls that the tactical, like the Ooh. tactics that you are going to use to execute and make sure that change is sustainable. Love that. Yeah. Time check. We've got two more connections. We can do this. Ooh, speed Next rounds. connection, <laughs> yep, is the trick-or-treaters, Lock, Shock, and Barrel, those three kids that Jack employs to get him Sandy Claws. <laughs> I love them, first of all, and I'm going to stick with your trivia here. That's Danny Elfman, Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, <laughs> and Moira Rose again. So yes. we've got we've got Catherine O'Hara again in one of those voices. So awesome trio there, really hilarious. And I think this one has to do with relationships, believe it or not. So right at the beginning when their first conversation with Jack, when he's asking them to do something, they're all, we thought you didn't like us, Jack. So they are causing him trouble and are a thorn in his side throughout. And it's because he may have demonstrated respect with everybody else in Halloween Town, but he hasn't really built a relationship with them. And in fact, they think he doesn't like them.
them. Therefore, they will never do anything that he says. Sound familiar? If we don't build relationships with the people that we're hoping to serve, whether they're students or teachers, we're not going to get anywhere, period. Well, and I would echo your idea too, Emily, in that bringing back the Cobra Kai engagement continuum, because they don't have a relationship and because they're not really part of Jack's actual crew, they're part of Oogie Boogie's crew, they go into rebellion by bringing Sandy Claus to Oogie Boogie to hold him and torture and torment him. So I would echo your thoughts about the relationship is always where it starts if you want to build more engagement later on. All right, here I come throwing a curveball again. (laughs) (laughs) So do you guys remember when I did a connection on our Wayne's World? So here I cannot talk about a trio and not talk about the three of us, you guys. So Uh, not that Wayne's World has a trio, but being, you know, recording in their basement, we had that connection. mm -hmm. In this case, we've got a trio of lock, stock and barrel. And so (laughs) I went down a wormhole to figure out who do I think is which one of us and who's lock. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) At first, I was going to go with like outward appearance, but that was don't do that. That's not a good one. So instead, what I did was I looked up their character profiles. And so I will say that. Casey, you fit the bill of Locke. That's the one that looks like the devil. Not because you were a devil, <laughs> but because their character, the character analysis says that Locke is the leader, but does not always think thoroughly. <laughs> so I was like, that fits Casey perfectly. And then back and it I know I can't help it. And then there was shock and shock is Emily. And this one is the most cunning, the most intelligent, the most skeptical and is actually, believe it or not, the only female. And then finally, here I am. I am Beryl is considered the dumbest and the clumsiest of the three, (laughs) despite my protest to the contrary. And I am the butt of the many jokes made by the cohort. I fit Beryl perfectly. (laughs) So you know what? That backhanded compliment is the despair. A little bit. Yeah, I I can take it. So. All right. I heard a skeptic Love in there. It. I'll let it stand. <laughs> yeah. So we're finally here at our last connection, and that is the stop motion animation style of this particular film. For anyone that has seen this film, it is an amazing work of art. It has, it has a very distinct look and feel. And for me, the connection that I can make really ties back to sustainable change, right? For me, change takes time. Just like when you are engaging in this type of animation, it takes a lot of time, effort, care, and support in order to make these characters that are essentially clay statues come to life and embody the emotions that we're trying to convey on screen. If we want change in education in our systems to happen, we have to be willing to go slow to go fast. Well put. Yeah, that one little incremental change at a time for real with that. Mine was actually a little bit different. This is more or less a testament to some amazing work with design thinking and collaboration. Nobody does uh, stop motion animation like that by themselves. And I had actually watched the movies that made Nightmare Before Christmas and I saw a neat little nugget about world building that they said in Halloween Town, there are no right angles. They had like some design constraints and some design considerations, and they were really trying to build something, like you said, Casey, really unique, and all of these people worked and created together, and they have this amazing classic that they've created by this collaborative design process. No doubt this is truly a classic, and it is it is that way because it is a work of art, and mm-hmm. regardless of whether you are a Tim Burton fan or you aren't, you cannot 
argue with the fact that this is artwork that was done, designed, and very intentional and meaningful. And so for the connection that I had was, as a teacher, my whole world shifted when I started thinking about myself as a creator, an artist, a learning experience designer. When I changed that wording Mm -hmm. and that terminology with the way I approached my lesson planning, the way that I design for the learners that are going to be in front of me, when I think of even just design thinking and the empathy loop, all of that changed the moment I decided hey, this is an art. This is a craft. Yes, there's so much science behind Mm -hmm. it. There's so much data that we have to also consider in the grand scheme of things. But when I started really thinking about myself as a designer, as an educator, that's really what made the magic happen. It brought the joy back to my teaching. And when we think about just lesson planning and designing, it is painstaking. There is piece after piece, and it's so complex. And there's how many, at least from the secondary lens, hundreds of students. And when you're in the elementary lens, you may not have hundreds, but all of the needs that they have and that learner might, you'll be teaching them how many subjects. It's just such an absolute complex work of art that we have to do. If as educators, we start speaking about the work we do in such terms, can we create our own classics? And can we make education like you're talking about, Casey, that's sustainable change? What would it be if we flip the script and we start thinking about who we are and what we can offer the world in that way? Great ending note. Yes, love. A little it. better than the potty right. humor, right? <laughs> yeah, You've grown. we knew you had it. In <laughs> All right, we are over our twenty minutes, but it's okay. We still have time for game. So, in this particular game, we're going to do a chit chat, this or that. So, thinking about this particular film, there's this point of contention: is the Nightmare Before Christmas a Halloween movie? or a Christmas movie that can separate families. So we're not going to do with this or that, with that one. It's going to come out. Um, let's talk about some of the other choices between these two particular seasons. So with this or that pumpkin spice latte or peppermint mocha, which would we pick? I'm going pumpkin spice on this one. Peppermint doesn't always sit well with me digestively. So <laughs> um, pumpkin spice More all the body way. More potty humor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. No, not like that. Just heartburn. <laughs> but yeah, I would much rather have my caffeine without a side of Pepsi. So yeah. Okay. Pumpkin spice. I'm definitely peppermint mocha. I am so excited when Christmas time comes around, holiday time comes around because the creamers, finally, peppermint mocha comes back. So that is definitely mine. I'm with you, Veach. I am peppermint mocha as well. I honestly, when September hits and everyone's like jumping on the bandwagon of the pumpkin spice, I just don't get it. I really don't get it. I don't get excited for it. I don't need it. But the holiday spirit, the holiday season, I'll take the peppermint mocha with you. Yeah. Well, they're getting me with all the sugar cookie and gingerbread type of drinks for real. Those (laughs) are great. But yeah, that was not the question. So I divert. (laughs) Next, this or that, festive holiday sweater or Halloween costume? I would much rather wear a Halloween costume. I was burned a couple of years ago at a Halloween party I went to. My school, we were organizing it and suggested we do an ugly sweater And I remember calling a woman up to be a part of the contest. She did not know she was wearing an ugly sweater. (laughs) I am am permanently like triggered by festive holiday sweater, ugly sweater things. So Halloween costume definitely for me. 
Same answer, different angle. I like Halloween costumes because, and you both probably know this about me, but our listeners don't, I usually have a hand in making at least one of my children's mm-hmm. Halloween costumes. And that really brings out my creative spark. I love making things and creating things. And like Halloween always just gives me such a good excuse to get in there in craft stores and make a Groot mask out of paper mache or create a bass guitar out of styrofoam or whatever, you name it, I've done it. And I will happily continue to because that's something I just really enjoy. I will partake in either the Halloween costume or the festive holiday sweater. But if I had to choose one over the other, which this is the game, I'll go with the holiday sweater. I wore one last night. I can't help but get in the spirit where Halloween, don't at me people, but I take it or leave it. If Halloween never happened, I'd be all right. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, I know I'm the minority. Maybe why I don't like the pumpkin spice. I don't know. Yeah, well, to me, pumpkin spice is like actually just hot brown water. That's what it tastes like. It's gross. <laughs> oh, Ted Lasso reference. Yeah. Last question is white elephant or trick or treat? This one's a no brainer for me. White elephant. And? White elephant. I know Casey's already making a face, but I don't need the candy. <laughs> I love the funny gifts that you can give and the good laughs that come from it. I cannot stand the white elephant because I'm always the one that gets stuck with the real, real garbage. Like then you donate the, it. The four-year-old expired can of cream corn. That is what I get. <laughs> or the Halloween decorations that someone wanted to participate in white elephant but didn't have a gift, so they went rummaging. That is usually what I get. And I already have kind of a hoarder house and I don't need other people's hoarding items. So definitely trick or treat for me. I think I enjoy. That. I think you need to join whatever group uh, party <laughs> Emily goes to for her white elephants because hers are actually funny. There's no cream corn, right, Em? <laughs> no, the last white elephant I gifted was a neck pillow shaped like a shrimp, <laughs> like literally a piece of shrimp <laughs> and um, wind up toys that are screaming possums. So you would have loved that. Oh my God. See those. And I'm a good white elephant gifter. One of the ones when I last did it was I had a comic book that was Mr. T versus Chuck Norris jokes. <laughs> and that's all it was. It was amazing. And I got Halloween decoration. <laughs> okay. Well, to be fair, Jenny's right. This party is epic. I did in return yeah. get a set of wine glasses, which are very nice, and a string of Christmas lights and a swimsuit that has a cat with lasers shooting out of its eyes <laughs> riding on top of a T-Rex. So, you know, awesome stuff. You um, win some, but, you lose some, I guess. But that said, that said, I'm also going for trick or treat because what? I like candy. And it's a little more sustainable. I like Mm trick-or-treating. My kids are Halloween babies. It's a very joyful time in Casa Coquitlam. And we really, really like trick-or-treating. And I get to show off the awesome costumes that I made. And Reese's Peanut Butter Cups happen. Enough said. Yes. (laughs) There it is. That is the true miracle of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups to last you through to when you get the Reese's Christmas trees. (laughs) Yes. So if we're looking here, it looks like Halloween actually might be taking the overall win here just by a hair. But don't add us if you think that it's a Christmas movie because this is not something that we discussed. But let us know what you think. If you think Nightmare Before Christmas is a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie, we'd love to hear 
from all of our listeners via Twitter or GLG pod chat. Let's go. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us for that. And we hope that you can once again, re-engage with us a little bit over your lovely break and take a little time to listen to us again on the pop culture winter wonderland. We have another fun episode coming at you in a couple of weeks here. So enjoy. And that's a wrap. It's so good to be behind the mics talking to you all. Thanks for choosing to come around to engage with our guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teams. If you'd like to connect, the power of the PLN continues as always, and you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, and on Twitter, at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie using the hashtag GLGPodChat. Do you even realize your feedback is everything? Feedback is a powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already or are finding us for the first time, how about leaving us a review as well as subscribing? You can find us wherever you stream. Thanks as always for tuning in to be a part of the Grounded Learners Guild. That's it for us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode. See you at the next Guild meeting. And don't forget, In the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.